In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, uh, I don't have much time, so I have to get started because we do have the adult, uh, we do have a service meeting. So, what I've decided to do is, we're on a very special Sunday, we're going to be doing two feasts, which is the Feast of Ascension, the Feast of Pentecost. So, so, um, what I decided to do is just continue where um, Archie left off. Archie talked about the 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension. And so I'm going to talk about the 10 days from the ascension to the Pentecost. Christosynistic. Christ is risen. Now I have So what, are, what is so important about these two feasts? These two feasts are pretty much... The continuation of God's glorious life. It's pretty much the finish line. Okay? And what happens after these two feasts is that Christ has now accomplished everything he needed to accomplish for our salvation. So God's salvation goal for humanity is now at its completion. And that's what these two feasts are. They are like the finishing line to our salvation. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. John 16, 7. Thank you. So, uh, a very interesting word he uses here. He says, he starts with, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. If it's coming from Christ, it's going to be true. He is the truth. And he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. How can Christ leaving us be an advantage? Right? Why would we ever want the Son of God to ever leave us? And in fact, what does Emmanuel mean? God is with us, but now he's leaving us. How does this make any sense to us? And he's physically leaving us. And so what you're going to realize in, in our faith, there's lots of paradoxes that when it goes, talks about. And so, the first one, the first paradox I'm going to go over is the Ignatian principles of consolation and desolation, which is when it goes, talks about all the time. And so, at first glance, it seems that Christ is physically leaving us. And this has to be a very strong sense of abandonment, right? A, a, a strong sense of absence. And so the disciples felt this desolation when he first left. You know, this initial feeling of hopelessness, despair, emptiness, loneliness. And so St. John Chrysostom says it perfectly. He says the disciples were afflicted with paralyzing grief. But then we know there has to be something more to it. Christ wouldn't just say, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I leave. There must be something to that. And so if we can think there's going to be two really important results from this. The first one is, and Archie kind of talked about this, was that Christ's absence would create a higher level of faith. 
And so, if we can re recall the time of uh, Thomas Sunday, what does Christ tell Thomas? Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what is he doing? He's putting into practice what he is preaching. I'm kind of foreshadowing of what is going to happen. Now I want you to remember my words. Right? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and, not have, and yet have believed. This is what I want you to do. So in a way, Christ is giving the disciples this opportunity to test their own faith. And this brings us to the second paradox. It is when we feel alone and abandoned, physically, we are closer to the Creator. How does this make any sense? It is when we feel alone, we are closer to the Creator. Like the proverb, where it says, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And so a really good example we can use is Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa, who was beatified on October 19, 2003, which is the shortest time in the history of the church. And then she was canonized as a saint on September 4, 2016, by Pope Francis the what was he known for? What was Mother Teresa known for? She was known for her strong religious faith. Yet, she lived almost 50 years feeling disconnected from, from God. And it's in those 50 years, that period of separation, that Christ increased her faith. That is why she's a saint. It's in those 50 years of disconnect. And she actually prayed and asked for this. To take away all of my consolations and just give me that desolation. So all she can depend on is her faith. There's nothing more she can depend on. She can't depend on the apparitions, on the appearances, on the miracles. All she has left to hold on to is faith. Why is Christ leaving? Why is he physically leaving? And you're going to see this throughout the entire lesson. For us, it's always about us. We always say it's about Christ, but Christ says it's always about my children, about my family. St. Augustine states, His departure enables the threefold spiritual presence of the Trinity within us. St. Cyril, Jesus leaves us leaves so that we may be glorified. Archie talked about this. Okay. So when Christ was glorified and resurrected and then ascended, we are to do the same. He is taking us with Him. Okay. So we are glorified with Him. So He ascended so that we may ascend. And what did He do when He ascended? He descended heaven. He brought heaven down to us. He brought heaven on earth. And that's the divine liturgy that we pray It's because of his ascension that we have the divine liturgy. That he ties together heaven and earth. 
the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him when he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So in this one, what are we seeing? We're seeing a huge, very clear black and white dichotomy. And I color coordinated for you. The red is what? Is the seen visible world that cannot receive the Pentecost. Why can't it receive the Pentecost, the world? Because he says at the beginning, he says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why can't the world receive the truth? Because the world belongs to our adversary. And he is the father of lies. And the father of lies can't comprehend or know the truth. Right? Polar opposites. Just like it says, for the darkness cannot comprehend the light. For the Christ is what? The truth, the way, and the light. And that's why he says, the world hated me before it hated you. Because the world doesn't know him. It doesn't what? It doesn't see him. It doesn't know him. So what does he mean by doesn't see him? Because the world only sees in what? In material reality. Right? That Christ allowed himself to be bound to the physical flesh so that we can see him. Because we see in the earthly. Christ in his ascension and now in the Pentecost saying, when I ascend... Do not mourn, do not feel sad for me. Because I am trying to tell you to depart and leave your flesh. And then when I come down from the Pentecost, I am now saying, see me in the spiritual realm. And that's in the blue. That unseen, invisible spiritual realm within us can and will receive the Holy Spirit. I am now trying to glorify you trying to transfigure, transfigure you. I'm trying to see, I'm trying to have you see the way I want you to see me. I don't want you to see me in the earthly. I want you to see me in the spiritual. Right? So he's trying to really have us expand in the ultimate transformation of Christ. For I am this what? Spirit of God. Not just the physical. Right? Because Christ is beyond the bound of physical appearance. He cannot just be at one time, let's say in Galilee or Samaria, Judea, wherever, Jerusalem. No, he's beyond that. He is in the spirit of God that Christ is omnipresent. And we see, we read this in the, uh, in the book of Hours. That he is in all places and fills all living things. So in the ascension, we, Christ is demonstrating to leave the physical body and in the Pentecost, See with the spiritual eyes. And what does this mean to us that we see in the spiritual eyes? That Christ is within us now. Not just physically bound in front of us, he is now internalized in us. Right? And that means what? He's more personal, he's more intimate, and more present within us. He's not bound by the physical body. And so in the physical world, both the Ascension and Pentecost are seen as desolation. 
Why? Because it's in the eyes of the world. It's earthly eyes. And that's in red. But in the blue, you see the spiritual unseen realm that the Ascension and Pentecost are consolation. Because it's not about the eyes, it's about the heart. We have the heart of the Spirit. So we look through spiritual eyes. A very complete different perspective. And then he addresses this point further by saying, you orphans. Why specifically these words, you orphans? It says, I will not leave you orphans. Because he says something immediately before that. He says, but you know him. We know him. What have I trained you to do in the last three years? You know me. You know who I am. This is not a surprise. If you listen to my words and what I've been trying to preach to you for three years, you know that this has to happen. But yet, I don't leave you orphans, for you are adopted in me. Right? So he's ensuring to the disciples that they are neither neglected nor abandoned. You see it, but you know me internally. You feel me. And this brings us to the third paradox, and I love this paradox. That Christ is more spiritually present in his physical absence. I'll say this again. That Christ is more spiritually present in his physical absence. We do not depend on what is seen in front of us. We depend on what is inside of us internally, which is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot see the truth. And then I want you to pay attention to how many times he addresses us by using the word you. How many times is it up here? How many times? Five times. It says five times. But then I'm going to read a passage also in the Paraclete chapters, John 14, two verses, and and count with me. Um, how many times he uses the word you? And you see how much our, our benevolent Father, how much Christ is always coming back to us. It's absolutely amazing. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you today. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice. Like it said in the Pauline, may your joy be full. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad. For when I leave, it is to your advantage because now you will see me. You will actually see me. And it's said 12 times. In two verses, he says you 12 times. It's amazing. Okay, uh, next volunteer to read. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. 
And where I go to you, know, and by the way, you know. What does he say here again? Thank you. You know. I'm leaving. You know me. That's not a surprise. And guess what? What do you think I'm doing up there? Where I go, you know. And the way, you know. None of this, this is all review. So God has prepared in those three years of ministry to say, here is the review for your final exam. All of this you already know. None of this is a surprise. And then I love this. It brings us back to the creation account. All the way back to Genesis. Twice. The first one. We hear this word. And God rested on the seventh day. And um, I, I see a lot of the accounts like online and when I talk to the youth, a lot of the youth think, why is God resting? Like, he doesn't get tired. Why is he resting? Is he on a rock like, uh, you know, inhaling, exhaling for, for deep breaths of oxygen? Is he so tired that he needs to rest? God isn't resting. He's restless. Because what does it say on the seventh day? He says, he rested on the seventh day. Then God blessed and sanctified the seventh day. He's going around doing his priestly ministry. He's doing his priestly tasks. He's going around what? Blessing and sanctifying. He's making everything holy for us. And then he makes it crystal clear to the Pharisees in John 5. What does he say? Jesus answered, my father has been working until now and I have been working. So what does Christ do when he leaves us? He's doing other things for us. He's preparing a place for us. He prepared the creation for us. And he waited, what, until the seventh day. He prepared those six days for our arrival on the seventh day of creation. And he's doing it again. He's waiting these, what, six days of creation here on earth? And what's going to happen on the seventh day, which we're still in? We're going to resurrect and we're going to ascend with the glory of God. And we're, what is he going to do? We're going to be in the heavenly home. He's doing the same thing as he did with creation. He is restlessly preparing a place for our arrival on the seventh day. Um, and I have a story. And this uh, includes Anusha, who is here with us today. Um, she comes with us from Australia. She's uh, Catholic. And if you could stand for a second. Uh, if you have time, come and make sure you say hi to her before you leave. She leaves Monday morning. So, it's a blessing to have her. Also, um, fantastic accent. <laughs> so, earlier last week, we, we told our uh, middle child, Joshua, that Anusha was going to come and visit, and she's going to stay in your room. That's all we told him. We didn't tell him anything. We didn't say how long, when she's arriving. That's it. And you know what he did? He cleaned his room so meticulously, it was the cleanest we've ever seen. And he, and he usually cleaned his room, but this time, he took that extra special care. He took that time to make it immaculate. And so, uh, when it was clean, he did it without being asked. That's what I love about the most. He did it without us asking him to clean. He just did it on his own. And I was, I was 
pondering what provoked him to do this act. So I asked him, and you know what he told me? He said, Dad, don't we do that for anyone who comes to visit us? That is what Christ, I saw Christ in him at that moment. This reminds me of what Christ does for us constantly, continuously. He prepares for our arrival as a precious, unique, and only child. Yet, he does this for every single one of us, and he does it emphatically. He does it impatiently, anxiously, eagerly awaits for our arrival. That's our Abba, our Father. Can I get a volunteer? Um, in my Father's house, oh wait, the next Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. All right. Thank you, Mary. So, uh, there's three parts here that I love, and I'm going to go pretty fast, and I'll skip the, the last one if we have time. Um, he says, he who believes in me. Is there any time in our lives that we can't think of the Lord? Is there anyone that can physically stop us to not think of our Father? Can someone go into our brains, turn it off, and say, you can't believe anymore. You can't have faith. You can't trust in Him. No. We can, that's the one thing that the world cannot take away from us. It can take away our bodies. Right? It can take away our emotions and our feelings. It can take away our, uh, our jobs. But it can't take away our faith in the Lord. It is with us always. And that is how Christ is with us always. Because we have the, we have the faith. So in reality, it is I who abandon Christ. It is I who is absent. And it is I who forsake the Lord on the cross. It was I that did these things. It was never him. Because we know deep down that Christ is always with us. He is in our midst. He is in our minds. He is in our thoughts. And it is us that decide if we stop thinking about it. We decide that. That's why he states, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says this twice. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That is 24-7. That is literally on our thoughts, on our minds. He will never leave us. When do we feel abandoned? When do we feel hurt and neglected and feel rejected? Because the world tells us that. But we know deep down, even from before the foundations of the earth, he thought of you. We have never left his mind. Adam left the building. Adam left the garden. It was humanity that left the union with God. It was we, 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 us, us, us. We are the ones that have made, made the initiation to what? To leave. It was never Christ. We are the ones that abandoned. We are the ones that decided to be removed. And then what does Christ do? He doesn't just stand by and say, they decided that, that's on them. No. He comes back to us and grabs us back to himself. He goes beyond. 
That's our benevolent father. Not only does he not leave us, but he comes back to bring us back. So in actuality, our consolation is forever. We have no desolation. We put upon ourselves the desolation. But consolation is forever. That's why he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And then we see the word also. And we see it in both passages. We see it in preparing a place for us and here to do his work. This illustrates how much our Abba, Father, loves his present children. Um, when uh, Shereen was pregnant with our firstborn, I couldn't stop fantasizing and thinking about being a father. I, I just stayed up nights after nights thinking about, this is amazing. I, like, God gave me this moment to realize that there's something greater than myself. I want this child to be better than me, to do everything better than myself. And I couldn't, I was ecstatic to prepare the nursery. I, I wanted to do everything for the child. I loved him or her, I didn't know his boy yet, him or her before he or she was born. I want to do everything for this child. And this is our father. That is what our father does for us every moment. Imagine that our Lord is preparing a place of everlasting life next to Him in the paradise of joy. Our gracious Father has given us a home in heaven and to do His works. He has literally given us everything. And then He goes, as He always does, a step further. He says, and greater works than these He will do. It has been said by several church fathers, that the apostles have the ability to heal through their shadow falling upon them. Just their shadow fall, uh, falling upon them, they would be healed. And that's been confirmed by several church uh, fathers. So the question is, why have we been given such authority? Because of one caveat, one condition, one requirement, as long as we believe in Him. Because if we believe in Him, we can do all things through Christ's strength in us. He tells us this. So why can we do greater things? Because it's still Him that's doing it in us. Because we are in Him, we are one body in Christ. It is our belief in Him that makes us one family. And here's, here's how everything that I talked about now concludes in John 17. That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So what are we seeing here? That is why the Son, of, the Son is the image of his Father, and we, the church, the body of Christ, are the image of the Son. Because we reflect as mirrors the image and likeness of the incarnate word of God, which brings us back to the creation account again. What did it say in Genesis 1, 26-27? He has created us in the image and likeness of us, trying God. So we see it always goes back to the creation of God. And then we'll conclude here. I think everyone's ending. 
So I'm just going to read this. Actually, let's have someone else read it. I don't know. Thank you, Kathy. Okay, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and will I make you always into the end of the age. Amen. And then the next one. And he said to them, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Thank you. So our beloved divine father literally gives us everything. Even up to himself, in his selflessness, sacrifice for us, in his unconditional benevolent love for us, in his precious son, in his gift of the Holy Spirit, you see the step by step. In his meticulous preparation of a heavenly home for us, and his eagerness to receive us. This is our perfect Father. And I'll conclude with uh, St. Basil the Great. It says, Through the Holy Spirit comes our restoration to paradise, our ascension into the kingdom of heaven, our return to the adoption of sons. That's what? The orphans. The adoption of the sons. Our liberty to call God our Father, our being made partakers of the grace of Christ, our being called children of light, our sharing in eternal glory, and in a word, our being brought into a state of, and we said this in the Pali today, the fullness of blessing, both in this world and in the world to come, of all of all the good gifts that are in store for us by promise and through faith, beholding the reflection of their grace as, as though they were already present. We await the full enjoyment. We are in constant consolation. And glory be to God forever and ever. Uh, any questions? Sorry, I kind of ended it short.